The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We have uh, done a number of programs on uh, the eruptions at Mount Vesuvius, and the relationship between those eruptions and the archaeology of Pompeii and Herculaneum. Um, Today's discussion is about papyrus and the technology of deciphering papyrus. We've also had a couple of shows on papyri and what the advances in the technology of their interpretation and decipherment is about these days. There are advances in technology and methodology in deciphering the papyri that were inconceivable as recently as 10 years ago. So today's discussion will bring together two specialists in various elements of papyrus interpretation and papyrus technology. And my guests are uh, uh, Dr. Vito Mosella, who is with the National Council of Research in Naples, and he works on very technical elements of papyrus um, decipherment. He has worked on photonic crystal and metamaterials, in particular on negative refraction-based effects and devices, and we will get into the details and the applications of that technology as we move along. Uh, Very glad to have you here, Dr. Mosella. Hi, Chris. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be with you today. And my second guest is Dr. Richard Janko, who is a professor of classics at the University of Michigan. He is a specialist in Aegean Bronze Age archaeology and philology and historical linguistics. He has also done extensive excavations and been involved in publication of a variety of Bronze Age sites in southern Greece. He is currently the Gerald F. Else, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, Else Distinguished University Professor of Classical Studies at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and he has currently been involved in a very significant research project to reconstruct, transcribe, and translate a scroll from Herculaneum 
that was apparently 53 feet long and contains a book by Philodemus, the teacher of Virgil, and it's our pleasure to welcome you as well. Dr. Janko, thank you for appearing here. Delighted to be on your program. Okay, Dr. Janko, tell us a little bit as we uh, try to uh, link together the uh, decipherment of the papyri technologically as, as well as the linguistics and the study of papyri in, in Greece as uh, you have done it. What's the background to the work that you are doing in Herculaneum and uh, what is the importance of the discoveries? Well, there's a, there's a long historical background because these papyri were found back in 1752, 1754, when they tunneled down into a, a, what turned out to be an enormous Roman villa, very, very luxurious, full of works of art. And in the course of that, they found a library. And at first, they thought these things were just lumps of coal. Um, they didn't realize they were books, but eventually they broke one open and they saw the writing on the inside. So um, that was 250 years ago, um, uh, and uh, the scrolls had been pre preserved by the eruption of mountain, of, of Mount Vesuvius, um, where they'd been carbonized without any oxygen there at a very high temperature. And so um, they were preserved rather than actually burning. Um, and this library is really very significant. It's the um, only time that we've discovered a library from the Greek and Roman world um, that was buried in conditions that would ensure its survival. And um, it's, it's important to realize, uh, I suppose, in this context, how many, uh, just how many ancient books have been lost. I mean, we think we have everything and we're never going to lose it, um, but... Uh, Sophocles wrote 90 plays and we have seven. Aeschylus wrote 90 plays and we have seven of his. Um, we've lost most of what was written in antiquity. And so it was amazing to be able to reach back into the past and pick out this library of maybe 800 scrolls. It was really an astounding discovery. Now, one of the reasons for the preservation of these scrolls was clearly that uh, in the area there were up to 10 to 15 meters of volcanic ash that sealed them in. And so my question to you is how did the evolution of papyrus interpretation start and, and where, where were we before we started using high tech to uh, interpret these scrolls? A great question. Well, everybody back in the time of the American Revolution and the French Revolution wanted to know what was going to be in these scrolls. And they had to wait an awful long time because nobody knew how to unroll them. Um, in the end, there was a priest from the Vatican, Father Piaggio, who devised a machine. And taking some of the better preserved ones, he very, very slowly unrolled them about... Uh, I don't know, five millimeters a day or something like that. It took him 17 years to unroll the first one. And um, uh, then in uh, the early 1800s, quite a few more were unrolled, um, causing a lot of damage to the papyri. And they were so badly damaged, and they were, they were texts that nobody had before. They weren't copies of books we already had. They were completely new. So uh, he had to... Uh, they were very, very difficult to understand for the people of the time. And basically, I suppose, 
People did try to work on them in the 19th and 20th centuries, but it was terribly difficult. Most people were put off, um, and they were, remained largely unexplored. Um, uh, about perhaps 50 of them were edited, something like that, um, in as much as they could. But they, the restorations were full of... They were full of holes, and they had to be supplied with um, um, scholars filled in the blanks and got it wrong, and uh, the early editions were a mess. Um, I suppose things got better in about 1970. Um, uh, Professor Gigante in Naples organized the research, brought in international collaboration, um, and uh, got things going, and people actually figured out, to began to figure out, how to put these back together because they were all in fragments and we didn't even know what order they went in. A lot of times they were published backwards, in backwards order. Um, finally, in the 80s, people figured out how to reconstruct uh, complete scrolls uh, that had been opened in this way. And I suppose um, uh, six or seven of them have now been done. Um, but it's taking us quite a while, like my scroll of 52 feet long, which, of which I had to make a complete model, which is too long for me to unroll in any house that I'm ever likely to live in. But uh -huh. um, anyway, uh, so that's, that's the state of play. Tell us about the 52-foot scroll and how it was preserved so immaculately and um, how, you're, how you systematically go about the process of trying to interpret that one. Um, well, that one I've really made a lot of progress on. It's the best preserved one I've uh, ever worked on. Um, but I had to put it together from six different scrolls, which were thought to be different books. And um, it took a while to realize that they all came from the same book. And um, the key to it was accurate measurement. It was... Um, figuring out what the circumference was of the papyrus as it gradually gets smaller and smaller and smaller towards the middle of the spiral, if you imagine a spiral looking end on. And so we did very accurate measurements, and that told us what order the pieces go in. And then one has to play around, do a giant sort of jigsaw puzzle, or it's like putting mosaic back together. It's very strange work, but I love it. And um, and then, of course, also the other thing that's important is really good microscopes um, and really good digital photography. Um, we now have um, uh, what is known as uh, multispectral images um, done by a team from Brigham Young University. Um, and these have made it possible to see the papyri much better than before. And... There are lights under the, under the lens of the microscope. That helps a lot because otherwise the light from the microscope makes a big shadow on, on the papyrus and you can't see what you're, precisely what you're trying to look at. So there's lots of technical progress even before um, this latest breakthrough that we'll be hearing about. And so take us up to the latest breakthrough in terms of the technology and the methodology. Um, well... Um, the uh, uh, papyri that were unrolled are only part of the collection. There are quite a few. Maybe I've, I've heard the number I've heard is about 180. Some people have said in the low 200s, um, which are too beaten up and too bent for the people in the 19th century even to attempt to open them. Mm -hmm. and, um, so it's been a long 
um, uh, struggle to try to uh, find a technology uh, which would suffice to read these. And, of course, it's not the usual kind of scientific problem that people uh, in the sciences are focusing on. So um, it's, uh, it's been quite a long time that people have tried different things. I mean, the scientists in the 18th and 19th centuries just wrecked the papyri. They um, plunged them in mercury or they did all kinds of horrible, destructive things. Um, but now we've, uh, we've focused on non-invasive techniques and some way has to be found to penetrate all the layers and show the ink inside. And... Um, uh, a few years ago, um, uh, a, a professor of electrical engineering from the University of Kentucky, Brent Seals, um, did a scan uh, using high-energy rays. Vito knows better than me what kind. Um, and he showed us all the layers of the papyrus going from the outside to the middle. And he showed us all the sever separate sheets of papyrus that it was made up of. Um, but he couldn't see any ink. So we had this amazing spectacle that we couldn't tell everything you could possibly want to know about this papyrus roll, except that it had, uh, uh, you couldn't read any of the writing on it. So that was where we were stuck. Um, and now I hope we're going to move forward in a big way, um, because the ink is what matters, obviously. Of course. So let me ask uh, Dr. Mosella, how did you get interested in working with the papyrus? Well, I know the problem of Esculant uh, Papyri by long time, I would say, by my, when I was a child, because I was well, born in Naples, so I, for some reason I've been in contact with these uh, interesting questions. Actually, when I was a child, um, I, I think I... I, I I have been at the museum, not at the yeah. but at the museum, and I saw the machine of um, Father Piaggio. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think, uh, well, for a, for, a, for a child, it was amazing, but still uh, not, not, not extremely technological, let's say, for, for, our, for my understanding. But this was a long time ago. Uh, I, well, I, so culturally I know the, the questions uh, from long times so I'm interested with. I attend a few years ago to a conference, I can remember in Capri, in Evelyn Holiday, uh, of uh, Professor uh, Capasso. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized finally that um, well, the synchrotron, the techniques we use, finally the phase contrast technique, uh, can be useful. I, I remember I discussed with him uh, on the site of what, but we were, uh, I were in a holiday, <laughs> so maybe I forget for for for, for sometimes. But well, it, it's still well in my mind. Let's see. So finally, one year's left in the summer, exactly in summer 2013, I were in synchrotron in Grenoble. Discussing, uh, I think, collaborating with them. I, I perform. I, I had my PhD in Grenoble, working on coherent beam uh, from synchrotron radiations. More or less, what the the tool we use for this um, uh, for this experiment. And uh, well, we were in an open discussion with uh, with people in Grenoble, and they were explaining me the 
the new application of this technique, in particular, uh, well, technique that start with the medical application and uh, uh, now becomes uh, popular in natural science, in uh, in uh, fossil study, etc. So, well, I have been, um, I, I I suggest to them, well, maybe we can try with um, with uh, Herculano Papari. It's an interesting, extremely interesting. Uh, uh, application is uh, is uh, unusual actually, and the, the new things. Some somebody uh, tell us we, uh, you are crazy because uh, ink is uh, is not so easy as uh, the uh, finally internal structure. Because if you study medical uh, for medical application or for for science, finally you are looking for some uh, internal structure. Uh, and our our uh, purpose was not simply look at internal structure, but look at uh, 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 data, including mm-hmm. internal structure, uh, text, finally. These were uh, an extremely challenging uh, uh, task, but finally it works. Yeah. It might be, Add- worth, uh, might be worth adding that the problem is that the ink is made of material yeah very similar to the papyrus itself. Um, it's a carbon-based ink. It's made from soot uh, mixed with gum arabic um, and water. And um, it's very, very similar, as, as, as far as we can tell, to the papyrus. And that's why it couldn't be recognized up till now. Um, does that... So, yes. that the, so that the multispectral imagery really gives you a finer degree of resolution so that you're able to actually distinguish on a very fine scale as to what you're actually seeing. Absolutely. The multispectral images were wonderful because um, you can, uh, well, they're taken in the infrared spectrum principally, and you can see the ink much better in that spectrum than the naked eye can. Um, So that's why on the images of the papyri that are already opened, uh, we can see so much more than people could uh, just a few decades ago. Um, but they but didn't I, penetrate inside. Yeah. Ah, of course, for, of course. Okay, just yes. to, to, to be precise. Now, for, uh, Vito, I just want to ask you, your, your background is in engineering? Uh, well, engineering and physics, I, I studied engineering and electronic engineering in Naples, and um, I had my PhD in uh, physics in uh, France, in Grenoble. I see, I see. Very good. Well, we will come back and continue our fascinating discussion after these words. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in The Business of Living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schildenrein, and we are having a fascinating discussion with two specialists on papyrus and the recent advances in papyrus interpretation, both technologically and methodologically. And uh, our discussion is centered on the uh, ancient city of Herculaneum, where a number of major discoveries and uh, interpretations of uh, major papyri from the various libraries in that uh, area, which were uh, buried by the uh, volcano at Mount Vesuvius, were uh, discovered, actually many of them many years ago, and we're just getting to the point where high-resolution physics and um, spectral imagery are very, very critical in allowing us to interpret these these papyri. And uh, Vita Maselli, you you had mentioned something, and Richard had as well, that the I suppose the chemistry of the ink and the chemistry of the papyri are somewhat similar, so that it's very difficult to actually decipher the print aspect of the papyrus. And that was one of the aspects that inhibited or prevented earlier decipherment of the writing itself. So, Vito, why don't you tell us a little bit about the physics of that and uh, what the challenges are? Yes. The, the, finally, the, the carbon-based ink and the carbonized papyrus are very similar uh, composition and cannot be discriminated using the usual CT scan, uh-huh. uh, co- the conventional tool for medicine, industrial application, because in this, uh, using this technique, um, essentially you you are sensitive to absorption in material, so you can discriminate um, 
uh, well, bones respect to the soft tissue in medicine, for instance, but you cannot discriminate uh, two different soft tissue. For, this is one limitation in usual radiology and uh, uh, CT scan. Uh, so we move uh, to, in a sophisticated technique that is uh, uh, called phase contrast uh, computer tomography mm-hmm. uh, that is sensitive not only to the absorption but as a, an additional, uh, an additional uh, uh, contrast coming from the, well, let's say, uh, the slight deviation that beam uh, uh, can experience in, in, uh, in, the, in the sample, in papyrus in this case. Um, and this, uh, well, the one thing is that the carbon-based ink didn't penetrate in the papyrus fiber, but stay on the top. Uh, and this is uh, uh, crucial for our experiments. Uh, this is also known for uh, papyrologists reading a Roland uh, Roland uh, Herculean text because they, when they look at the papyrus, they can appreciate that there is a slight relief of the letters, and uh, uh, this right. uh, is ju- uh, this uh, relief that we can uh, discriminate the letters in in uh, not simply the absorption because of, uh, the uh, with this technique. Uh, uh, we we are sensitive also to the not not simply to the chemical absorption but also to the morphological feature of the of the of the internal structure and finally the the very very um, small uh, but uh, uh, enough for us um, uh, relief of the letters the 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 can, they can uh, be appreciated with the phase contrast techniques. This, the, 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 actually, we need to move uh, in a synchrotron that is an accelerator, so we move uh, in Grenoble. It's not so simple to, uh, as, as a usual CT scan, but finally, <coughs> science is also uh, useful for, for test new, new application that uh, can be extremely interesting as a Papyrus. Let, let me ask you just one more question in that regard. Either one of you can jump in on this one. Are there some papyri that are more difficult to read than others and some that are more uh, susceptible to the type of work that you're doing, Vito, that will actually give you uh, excellent readouts, if you will, versus others that no matter what you do to them, they will not be able to yield any information? Uh, well, I think- uh, Sorry, Richard. Uh, Richard, why don't you start with that one? Uh, yeah, um, I think uh, it's it's going to turn out that they're all going to be readable with this technology. I, I'm pretty confident they'll all be pretty good. The main limitation is how badly smashed up they are, and they were they suffered tremendous pressure. They were um, bathed in steam in the eruption before they were crushed and burned. I mean, they went through everything you can possibly imagine. Um, and uh, so it's it's a matter of how damaged they are, I think. I and mean, it's just amazing that the new technique um, can rely on this the height of the ink, which is one-tenth of a millimeter, as I understand it, a tiny, tiny amount to pick out uh, the ink, and that's going to be very important. Um, I suppose the, the limitation is going to be um, that... Um, 
the letters have to be tied to the layers of papyrus because if the letters get jumbled up between the layers um, and we can't discriminate the layers, then we're going to have trouble reconstructing the text, just as much trouble as we have, as we have now with the ones that were physically opened. Um, uh, but, um, you know, we should, uh, uh, if algorithms and, and um, software is developed for following the layers of papyrus, then we should be able to get um, pretty complete texts, a lot of texts. Richard, let me ask you something in historical perspective. Before the application and the perfection of this technology, what percentage of the papyri would you say were readable, and how much of an improvement um, does the current technology allow us to advance with respect to what we had been able to do before that? Uh, okay, lots of questions. Yes. Uh, so, uh, uh, it's... Very hard to quantify the percent that had been read. Maybe 30%, uh, something like that. But they hadn't been read very well. And with the recent improvements in imaging, we were able to produce vastly better texts than we ever were. Um, so uh, that was your first question. Um, your second question was... Uh, compared to the past, I mean, how oh. what, how many uh, how, what what are the number or proportion of texts that you should you're estimating just crudely that you'll be able to read um, because of this new technology? Well, it said that there are uh, parts parts of or, or um, complete around two hundred rolls in the in Naples that still haven't been opened. They may not be complete rolls, they may be just tops or bottoms or halves, um, but that's quite a lot of texts. I mean, we think there are around 800 that were found, so maybe another 25% uh, in addition to what has already been opened um, by um, invasive methods. What about what about the information that you're recovering? What uh, what kind of information has been recovered, and interpretations? Of what are the themes and and uh, with the uh, with with the advances that are being made? Uh, are they opening new vistas for understanding uh, life ways or the day to day life that obtained at Herculaneum? At uh, at the time, uh, well, this is this is books. So um, uh, ancient books mostly weren't about day to day life. They were about important problems like the purpose of life. Um, so uh, philosophical issues. It, it, we have quite a lot of philosophical books. Um, most of the library is philosophy, um, and uh, it's uh, very odd that this library should largely consist of philosophy um, because uh, we know something about ancient libraries and they were like our libraries. They have books on everything. Um, so uh, it's a surprise. It's as if we just found the philosophy section. Um, sure. yeah. And it's the philosophy mostly of um, Epicurus and his followers who um, played a big part um, really, in getting to the modern science that's enabling us to read his books again. Um, he, was, uh, he believed that the world is made up of atoms and void, and he didn't have the technology to verify that, that argument, but he made that claim, 
And when it was rediscovered in the Renaissance, um, it ultimately led to the emergence of chemistry and, of, and ultimately of the kind of physics that Vito and others are using to get this information. Um, so uh, we uh, have mostly philosophical books. They're all in Greek, which was the language of science in antiquity, and that's why so much of the language of science and of archaeology comes from Greek, even in our own language. Um, and then uh, also uh, we have a collection of books in Latin, uh, which seem to be more, more on literature than the philosophy books uh, in Greek. Um, so we have scrolls in Latin as well. Um, and those have been much harder to read than the Greek ones. Um, uh, whether they weren't burned as well or whether um, uh, they're just harder for us to read because hardly any um, uh, specialists on ancient Rome have worked on them, um, it's not clear. But um, I certainly find them much harder than the Greek. Uh, in terms of preservation and in ter well let me let me ask Vita this question uh, what are the what are the problems that still remain for you to solve in terms of the inter uh, the decipherment of the papyrus where is the science going and what are the what are the problems that you see um, given that how far you've gone well actually we have to um, uh, improve experimental technique. Um, finally, the results we, we present come from two-day experiments in synchrotron, uh, simply uh, a curiosity-driven um, idea um, uh, performed, well, we can say very, very fast, but uh, we need to improve the, 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 the technique because, uh, and, and this is planned, uh, we have an experiment in, um, in Grenoble next uh, spring, in May, and um, around May, and um, uh, we, we, we actually will also determine the exact composition of the ink because we, we are based on the literature of knowledge uh, or carbon-based ink, but we plan to um, make some measurement on the fragments, so where the ink is on the surface, to finally determine exactly the, the chemical composition. This will help a lot uh, our uh, imaging, because we will choose uh, the, the energy in, uh, in experiments, and knowing what is in ink and what is not in, in the ink. I, I expect that uh, the contrast in, in new data will be improved. This from the experimental techniques. That is, that's a very interesting question, and I want to ask you, uh, Vito, in particular. Has do you notice that there's a change in the composition of the ink through time? Well. Up to now, we are based on the uh, knowledge from. Uh, well, there are some measurements made from, from I think, from Norwegian. Uh, uh, I do remember there is a, a paper in the beginning of nineteen uh, where they determine uh, the chemical composition, but finally they confirmed uh, what is known from uh, Plinius and uh, what, what is known from uh, literature. Let's see. Uh, yeah, uh, but I'm, well, I might. Uh, I can answer uh, this one. I think uh, that um, the ink 
you know, antiquity was made of this carbon-based um, uh, soot. Um, but at a certain point in antiquity, they started putting iron in ink. And, of course, that's much easier for um, X-ray technologies to see. Of um, course. And so from about the 4th century AD, um, all the ink has iron in it. It's iron-based ink, and that's not a problem. Uh, we already can do, we, we already can see multiple layers in, in scrolls, if there were any scrolls, mm -hmm. uh, that need to be read like that. But the carbon-based ink is a much more difficult problem, and that's, that's what, where, we're, where we're making progress now. Um, so uh, I, I think it's a very exciting time. I mean, what's uh, so exciting about these scrolls is, um, as I said, it's uh, mainly Greek philosophy, but for those of us interested in ancient Greece, um, what's particularly good is that these philosophical texts often contain discussions of earlier philosophers and earlier writers. So we may get new fragments of Greek drama, we may get um, extracts from the works of Aristotle. One scroll I worked on has extracts from a work of Aristotle on poetry, um, which uh, people have long wanted to find, uh, uh, one of his dialogues. Um, so uh, we've got a lot of, uh, it gives us a window into a much wider range of, uh, of topics than we uh, may at first expect. And we will be back with our final segment on this program after this break. Stay tuned. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in Tuesdays and join the credit master and consumer advocate, Mr. D, a.k.a. Bruce J. Danielson, and learn the whole truth about credit risk scoring, collectors, both kinds, credit bureaus, credit cards, tax liens, mortgages, and much more. Find out how to use accountability combat to protect yourself from becoming a victim and to fight back against corporate abusers, such as banksters who have taken unfair advantage of most of us. The Consumer Fightback Show educates consumers on how to find relief within today's onerous credit system. See you Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you experiencing a relationship or a relation slip? Without the carefully measured balance of spirit and ego, it might not be what you want it to be. On Relation Slips with Dr. Bobby Summer and Lori Lynn Mann, we'll explore relationships from two unique ends of the spectrum. In addition, we'll have amazing guests, both experts and celebrities, and we'll hear from you too. Relation Slips can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dance Talk Radio has come to Voice America. Join host Tracy Marciniak and her celebrity guests every week for a show that takes you inside the world of dance. What's it like working with stars like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift? The experts share their stories and the behind-the-scenes secrets. Plus, inside tips to become a better dancer, instructor, or studio owner. Dance on over to the Voice America Variety Channel every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific for Dance Talk Radio. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we're back with a very fascinating discussion on ancient papyrus and the techniques and the methods that have been applied to uh, interpret them because the science of decipherment of papyrus has advanced exponentially over the past few years, and my two special guests... Uh, Dr. Vito Mosella and Dr. Richard uh, Jenko are uh, experts in uh, looking at both the science and the interpretation of the papyri that uh, we have discussed in several other episodes and specifically the papyri of Herculaneum uh, in this uh, special edition of the program. Richard, tell us a little bit about the library and the uh, who owned the library uh, in Herculaneum, where these papyri were found? Well, they were found in this magnificent building, as I said, which was full of works of art. Um, it was probably the most luxurious Roman villa that's ever been found, um, apart from the one that belonged to the Emperor Hadrian. Um, it belonged to some really important Roman. And uh, given that in it there were found uh, a lot of books by the philosopher Philodemus, who was the um, sort of uh, house philosopher of a great Roman magnate, um, uh, Calpurnius Piso, um, we think it was probably Piso's house. And Piso was a very important figure because he was Julius Caesar's father-in-law. Mm. Uh, so he was, he was an important man. And um, he uh, uh, certainly is addressed in poems by Philodemus because my my writer Philodemus was also a poet. So, um, uh, and what's even odder is that Piso ought not just to have had a collection of books that was philosophy. He needed law books, he needed history books, he needed literature. He must have had a bigger library in the villa of these things. And so there ought to be another really big um, library uh, in the villa. I don't think the collection of books we've got is the, li- the library of that villa. Um, so uh, this is uh, 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 something that really tantalizes one. And um, we were good talking about this during the break with the, with the numerous papyri that have come to light. What say, in subjective changes, what, uh, what information sets are you disco- starting to unravel that you hadn't unraveled at, at, uh, at the time prior to the uh, discovery of the new technology? What are you learning sort of in a, in a, in a qualitative sense that you didn't know before? Well, the new technology uh, uh, from the 
tomography is just a proof of concept at this point. So all they've done is prove they can show us a few letters. So that's all we've got with the new technology so far. But we're going to get a whole load more. So um, that's very exciting. But even with the other techniques that I mentioned earlier, the multispectral imaging and so on, we're getting a lot of um, parts of new books. Um, we have um, quite a few books now of Epicurus's On Nature uh, being recovered. This was um, the great work in which he put forward his theory um, of atomism, that the world is made of atoms. Um, we have works by uh, a range of his followers, um, especially Philodemus. I'm reconstructing uh, Philodemus's writings on poetry, and that's particularly interesting because Philodemus was the teacher of the Roman, uh, the great Roman epic poet Virgil, um, who wrote the Aeneid. Uh, so it's very exciting to see what Virgil's teacher thought about poetry. And uh, in his On Poems, Philodemus talks about a lot of his predecessors in this field, some of them well-known, like Aristotle, others of them completely new, people we hadn't heard of before. Very exciting to get their materials back. Um, uh, speaking of the Latin papyri, there's a, an epic on the Battle of Actium that Augustus won, to, uh, which consolidated his control over the Roman Empire and started... Um, uh, the, uh, put an end to the civil war um, between uh, him and Mark Antony. Um, there are, there's a part of a Roman comedy by a contemporary of Plautus and Terence. It's called The Moneylender, um, and uh, that's very nice to have. Um, there's a, a range of things, but of course, if, uh, as many of us think, there's a much bigger library buried in the villa. Um, uh, the new technology will enable us to find out what those scrolls are if they're recovered. Um, so it opens a lot of perspective. Richard, were there any uh, scrolls preserved in Pompeii? Uh, no, and that's because um, Pompeii had a different fate geologically from Herculaneum. It did, yes. Um, uh, Pompeii was buried by ash, and then it rained on top of the ash over the centuries, and all the papyri that would have been there just rotted away, uh, the way they have everywhere in the world, except in Egypt, where it doesn't rain very much, and so papyri survived there. So, um, whereas Herculaneum has what's called a pyroclastic flow, a, a terrifying avalanche of hot gas, um, 320 degrees Celsius, something 600 Fahrenheit, something like that, so hot that your brains boil in an instant, apparently, and that's how you die if, if you're in the way of one of those. And that carbonized the papyri, and it therefore preserved them so that we can read them now. Um, and that's why at Pompeii we don't have that. But at Herculaneum, they have found papyri elsewhere than in the villa. Some of the houses just have little stacks of account books, um, we don't really know what those, what's in those yet because they haven't been uh, read, they haven't been unrolled, and uh, this new technology should show us what's in those as well. Vito, tell me a little bit about uh, what you see happening in the future in terms of your ability to improve the technologies. What do you see happening? Well, taking account, as I said before, that <clears throat> these results uh, come from... Um, uh, an idea and 
few days of experiments and, uh, well, um, I did analysis that is, can be strong but difficult, but um, uh, finally we made uh, without any grant, any people to work with. So, uh, we, we actually, we, this is a proof of concept, as uh, Richard mm-hmm. said before, but it's a proof of concept simply because also we, we need to prove this uh, and we find uh, important to show that uh, uh, this can be done, but um, uh, not 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 because uh, other is uh, impossible to do. Simply, it's hard to do. We need uh, some resource, etc., or time also because we will now we 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 get one week um, experiments in Grenoble. We will uh, yes. improve the techniques a lot. We will uh, improve also the data analysis uh, that is actually complex. We will, uh, uh, we hope to to have a uh, additional fund to to have people work with because finally um, the data analysis has been done by myself and um, uh, Emmanuel Brun in Grenoble, but as a side project because we had the other. Uh, uh, main project uh, up to now, so uh, we hope that this becomes a main project. Uh, and um, I, I think that in uh, in uh, in um, in next uh, year, say we will have uh, a lot of progress. I think. Vito, tell me also where are the centers for doing this type of work? Where is it? You mentioned Grenoble in France, and and I'm sure you're doing a lot of work in Naples. Are there any other places in the world that do this kind of work? Well, uh, the the Grenoble synchrotron, uh, well, the synchrotron is a accelerator, a big machine. There are a lot in the world. Uh, the the European synchrotron. Facility is one of the best in the in the world. Probably there are other in Italy. There there is a national one in Trieste. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, US we have a, uh, a number of that. I've been a PhD uh, postdoc, sorry, in uh, Argonne uh, uh, times ago. Argonne mm-hmm. goes to the Chicago. Uh, I guess that now is still the 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 best one in in US the Chicago but uh, well to to have um, a good contrast a good face contrast you you need a good signal up to now and uh, well, Grenoble is probably the best or one of the best in the world Richard uh, I was going to ask you too do you work in conjunction with any teams that uh, are working say with the uh, the papyri that you want to look at does, does it work that way? It's, it's very much an international effort. Uh, there are um, uh, quite a few people working in Naples on this, but there are also scholars in Germany, in France, uh, in uh, the U.S., in Britain. Um, so it's it's very much a, an international effort, and um, we have a a project to uh, uh, the Philodemus Translation Project, which has involved scholars from. UCLA and uh, uh, Baylor University in Texas um, and uh, UC Irvine, a lot of different places. So, um, you know, we we work together on these texts and uh, put them back as best we can. But there aren't actually very many people who work on this. Um, I can't can't imagine there are. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's difficult work, but it's terribly exciting when you're bent over... This this text, which was written two thousand years ago, and you know you have to 
be careful not even to breathe so you don't damage the delicate surface. Uh, and there it is. It's right in front of you, you know, next to your nose. Um, as you uh, uh, look at letter, pick it out letter by letter and, and transcribe it for the first time. It's a very exciting field. Um, and it has a lot more to teach us. I mean, uh, uh, we uh, have all these great technological capabilities, but we still, uh, as, a, as a species, haven't uh, entirely mastered the art of living together peacefully with one another. So <laughs> we still have some things to learn from the philosophy of the ancients, in my view. In that connection, what are some of the most startling surprises that you have uh, uncovered uh, given the uh, quantum revelations that have occurred over the past few years. Is there something that you're picking up in the papyri that really surprised you given that you had done a lot of work before these discoveries and that you're seeing right now that sort of changed the direction in which you look at these things? Um, well, uh, there are lots of things I'd really like to have if we can get some new scrolls, um, which we haven't seen before. Um, for one thing, uh, uh, I uh, reconstructed uh, the opinions of Aristotle on comedy um, uh, hmm. many years ago from a, uh, uh, um, a manuscript, a medieval manuscript that's in Paris, and that um, uh, was just a summary of the main points, as I argued. I'd like to see whether I was right about that. It would be great to get back the original text of the second book of Aristotle's Poetics, um, which, um, funnily enough, was um, the topic of uh, a movie by, about, by, based on the book of Umberto Eco, uh, The Name of the Rose, um, which some people may have seen. Um, so uh, it would be good to get that book back. You remember it, it ends with the monastery being burned down, uh, mm -hmm. And the last copy of the book uh, going up in flames, and they actually show you the flames licking across the page of the Paris manuscript that I had um, that I had used to make my arguments. Uh, so it would be good to get that one back in particular. But um, when you bear in mind, as I said at the beginning, that that uh, the Greek um, tragic playwrights like Sophocles wrote ninety or a hundred plays, and we have probably seven. Um, well, there's a lot to recover. And we'd like to read all these things that people used to be able to read. Our knowledge is not as secure as it should be. Everything's now digital. And, you know, if we had some uh, huge solar flare or some great disaster, a lot of our digital knowledge could be wiped out. And the reason that these scrolls have survived is because they were on a physical material. Um, it's, uh, it's unlucky for them that they... Uh, were um, burned in the in the volcano, but it's very lucky for us um, uh, that we still have these texts uh, that we can now um, begin to recover. Is there, do you think, a chance that there might be uh, another Aristotle out there um, that we haven't discovered yet because uh, some major philosophical tracts uh, well, tractates might 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 be buried in one particular area that we haven't looked at yet. I I, I think uh, we won't get we won't get so many new philosophers, but we will probably get works by philosophers whom we've barely heard of. That's uh, what I mean. Yeah, and uh, that would be good. I mean, with Philodemus, there was one mention of one of his books before 
that library came uh, came was was rediscovered. Just one mention, and then mm-hmm. there were poems, and nobody talks about his poems. We do have some poems of his, but uh, he wasn't really mentioned at all. And suddenly, you know, we we know that he wrote about uh, seventy or eighty books, um, some of them in multiple volumes, um, and uh, we have a very large collection of them now because of this library. Well, I. We, have to bring this discussion to a close. I want to thank my very special guests, uh, Dr. Richard Jenko of the University of Michigan and Dr. Vito Mosella of the National Council of Research in Naples. I want to thank you both very much for participating in the program. And we will be on the lookout for new advances in papyrus methodologies and interpretations as we go forward. This is a very exciting field and uh, two very, very well knowledge, knowledgeable and very well-spoken experts. And I want to thank you both for appearing in the program. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. Until then, we will see you. Have a pleasant week and good evening. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.